If you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I don't know if you have the problem that I have at times. If you're reading a novel or some book that you enjoy, I'm very tempted to go to the end and read that first. I mean, I, I really, it's a struggle. Like if it's especially a series that I've been working on reading and I just, I just want to go to the end. I want to know how the end occurs. And so we're going to do a little bit of that this morning because I just, I, it's, it's overtaken me and I just need to get to it. I need to preach it to you. It's the Lord's laid it on my heart. So we're going to read the end of what we've been preaching on. And I will say this, each one of these descriptions of the church of God that the apostle Paul gives in the book of Hebrews is a chapter and a sermon unto itself. I have so enjoyed Studying this, it has overwhelmed me. It has astonished me at different times. And I'm sure it hasn't you, but it has me. And I told you before, I wish I could translate sometimes what I'm getting right there when I'm studying in my office or wherever I'm studying. I wish I think to myself, if I could just translate this over to Sunday morning, this would be wonderful. That's why we need your prayers. So we want to talk this morning about the last description that's given here by the Apostle Paul. Jesus, the mediator. Because that's what it all comes down to in the church of God. We want to read, starting in verse 22, once again, as we've done for several weeks now. Let's read Hebrews 12 and 22. And we're considering Jesus the mediator. He said, But ye are come unto Mount Sion, Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, I want you to think about the descriptions, Mount Sion, Mount Zion, where the Holy of Holies was the the closest place that you could connect with God in the old covenant. And we come to Mount Sion today. The closest place that you can connect with God under the new covenant. Why? Because he is the holy of holies. You see? We come to the city of the living God. Which in the book of Ezekiel, that city's name is described as Jehovah Shammah. God with us. Like Emmanuel, as you read. God among us. God is there. That's the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem means shalom. It's from the word peace. The city of peace. And Christ, one of his names is peace. To that innumerable company of angels who desire to look into the things that we preach about when we're preaching about Christ. That bodyguard of the Lord, as if he needs a bodyguard, comes down. And at this very moment, at this very moment, if the Lord is blessing and the Holy of Holies is present, the Spirit of God is here. At this moment, perhaps thousands of angels in chariots of fire as they surrounded Elisha and his servant. Perhaps or absolutely. <laughs> Innumerable companies of angels. Does that make you feel better? Does that make you feel a little more protected just thinking that they, they might be there? <laughs> I tell you, child of grace, they are there if the Lord is blessing. Because he said so. To the general assembly, the panegyrists, where we come to the foot of the mountain, Mount Sion, and we extol and praise the glory of the one true and living God. The church of the firstborn, oh my goodness, each one of these has so much within it. And very briefly, the church of the firstborn, I want you to think about the significance of that description. 
Christ is described in the New Testament as the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, what does that mean? If you were an Israelite, you knew exactly what that meant. Because you had been, all of your life as an Israelite, you had been taking a lamb to sacrifice in place of your firstborn. So where did they get that idea from? It was, a, it was not just an idea. It was a cultural understanding and comprehension. As I've told you before, that's why Abraham did not hesitate when God said, take your firstborn son, Isaac, and go and sacrifice him. You know why? Because Abraham knew that the firstborn was owed to God. See, there was a debt that was owed to God. You say, where'd that debt incur in the Garden of Eden? When the first created of God sold himself into slavery, and therefore the firstborn being owed to God was something that was all throughout uh, the culture of Israel, the, the spiritual culture of Israel. So when Christ is described as the firstborn, you understand that he is capital F firstborn because he is the begotten of God. He is the one that was um, the only begotten son of God. He's always been the son of God. He's always been eternally there. But he came in flesh, you see, and he was perfect for that sacrifice. So when he describes him as the church of the firstborn, an Israelite would listen to that and go, oh, that means we don't have to sacrifice the lambs anymore as a substitute for our firstborn. You see, I've told you before, Abraham, if God had said, take Sarah up to the mountain and sacrifice her, Abraham would have been like, what? This is something totally new and different. But when he said, take your firstborn Isaac up there, he didn't hesitate. Because he knew that the debt was owed to God. And he knew that God was just when he wanted to call in the debt at any time. You say, well, I'm not quite there yet. Okay, think about uh, Egypt. God called in the firstborn debt to the entire nation of Egypt. Not only the nation of Egypt, but also the Israelites. You see, it wasn't the, the good looks or the good works of the Israelites. You can read it. They were worshiping, most of them were worshiping the false gods of Egypt. So God called in the firstborn debt on the entire nation, which included the nation of Israel. And what happened? God said, if you'll take that lamb and you'll sacrifice that lamb and you'll take that blood and you'll put it on the doorpost, then I will pass over you in judgment. I will pass over you because a substitute came. Do y'all see that? Christ is the firstborn. That's why we can have access to God. That's why that we can approach him is because he's the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, Christ has many brethren, and don't he's not leaving you sisters out. He has many sisters, too. has many brethren and many sisters, many sisters. And he's the firstborn. That's how he has many brethren, is he's the firstborn. His sacrifice was perfect. Colossians 1 and 15 says that he is the firstborn of every creature. That means that he is the one that has sacrificed himself and by his own power has brought himself back from the dead. None of those lambs that were slain were able to bring themselves back from the dead. The blood was shed and they were dead. But Christ, the Lamb of God, shed his blood and he brought himself back from the dead. Therefore, he is the firstborn. Young folks, don't ever forget this. No matter what the college professors say, I've been to college... No matter what the college professors say, no matter what a teacher may say, no matter what some naysayer may say, the fact remains that you cannot find the grave of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They've tried to find it. You cannot find it. 
There's many famous, well-known world religions that are out there. And the founders of those world religions are all dead. They have graves. You can find them. Theoretically, you can find all of their graves. But you cannot find the grave of Christ. I challenge you to find it. You can't find it. That's why he used a borrowed tomb. He brought himself back by his own power. And that makes him the firstborn, the first begotten from the dead. You see that? The resurrection is everything to the child of God. It says in Colossians 1 and 18 that he is the firstborn from the dead. You see that? So when he says the church of the firstborn, oh, we, could, we could spend the rest of the morning unpacking that. But we're going to move on to the end. He says the church of the firstborn, whose, which, na- uh, which are written in heaven, whose names are written in heaven. Do you know right now, isn't that amazing? There's an eternal book in an eternal place in an eternal throne room that's written, I believe, in the blood of Christ, where Christ Himself has written your name in that book. In heaven right now, your name is written in a book, and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Your names are written in heaven. Did you go up there and write your name in heaven? You did not. Did you do something to get your name there? Absolutely, you did not. It was Jesus, the mediator, who wrote your name in that book. And if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, I'm worthy of that. I, I deserve that. We need to talk. <laughs> you're not worthy of it and you never will be. And you'll spend glory. You'll spend eternity praising God for his worthiness and him writing your name in that book. Your names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. Notice it says, and you're come to God, the judge of all. Notice the language now. That's, that's legal terminology. God, the judge of all, capital J. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, ladies, don't fret. That doesn't mean it's just men. It's only men. It's a word. It's a term that's covering everybody. Every child of God. Ladies, men, children, all of God's children are covered in that where it says the spirits of just men. Those that have been justified. You say, how in the world could a just judge justify the wicked people, his children, his chosen? By the blood of Christ. The firstborn among many brethren. You see how that goes together? Now let me say this too. I am so happy to be able to come to a place and spend time with the spirits of just men made perfect. Have you thought about that? You see, y'all may look at me and you say, look at all those bad qualities of Brother Tim. I got them. And you do too, whether you are willing to admit it or not. You know, I like the way one preacher put it, you know, the children of God... They come with warts and pimples. You know, they, they've got it all. You know, scars, everything you can imagine. You get up close. Don't get too close to me. Because i got these blemishes, especially new ones that are coming up all the time on my face. You say, well, you look young, Brother Tim. Don't get too close. <laughs> you may not think I look young. But don't get too close. You'll see all those blemishes. I've looked at Sister Tracy's little, you know, mirror that enlarges everything. And, I mean, I've looked in there a time or two and jumped back because of the hideous thing that I saw. I'm like, you know, I got this place on my face I need to look at. Ah! You know, is that me? I'm hideous. You get up close to that. You know, side note, total side. That's why a lot of people won't let you get close to them. They don't want you to see the warts and pimples. In the church of God, we don't have that choice. If you want to enjoy the church of God, you can't, you can't keep people at a distance. You'll never experience what God intended to experience. I love God's people even with their warts and their pimples. Now, I may not want to get up real close in the mirror and look at them with you, but <laughs> you understand? But here we are this morning in a place where God, Paul, the, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to describe it as a place where we gather with the spirits of just men made perfect. That's what I see in you when I see you here. 
I don't think about, oh, boy, that person's got this problem. Oh, boy, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too close with them. No, I think we are gathered with the spirits of just men made perfect by the blood of Christ. I want to think about your good qualities. I told Sister Rosalind just a minute ago that one of these Sundays when I'm not preaching, I'm just going to come out there and sit in the car with her and Mandy and Susan. Y'all hear me out there? <laughs> I, I've been about inspired out there by Mandy and Susan reaching out for me and wanting to touch me and talk to me and telling me they love me and open the love gate and all of this out there. I, I'm just, I, I want to stay out there. I'm just going to climb in the car, but she's laughing right back there right now. I know she is. <laughs> you understand? We're at a place where the spirits of just men made perfect have come together. You are perfect, child of God. You say, well, what about my sin? Listen. We've all got sin. You've got the old man and the new man. But God has washed you from your sins. The judge has made you perfect. There is a part of you, the Spirit of God within you, that cannot sin. John speaks of that. The seed of God that God has planted in you in the new birth, it cannot sin. Oh, listen to that part of you, child of God. Listen to that part of you. Life gets a lot easier when you listen to that part of you. That part of you that is perfect. That part, it is God within you. You understand that? That's amazing. And we come together with the spirits of just men made perfect. Not only men, but men, women, and children. And he says, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus the mediator. In my time in the legal field, I've experienced going through a lot of mediations. So I understand a lot about what the modern teaching and understanding is of a mediator. What we've got here with Christ is something more than just the legal comprehension of what a mediator is. There's also a thing out there in the legal world known as an arbitrator. And arbitrator is a little different than a mediator. It has to do with the power empowered within an arbitrator. You know, a mediator in modern uh, understanding doesn't have any power. He only has the power that the parties submit to him. So the mediator could say, I've got it worked out. Here it is. This is the way it's going to be. And the parties could say, nope, we're not going to do it. But if the parties consent and the mediator says, I've got it worked out, so be it. It's fine. The court will enforce that. Now, arbitration is a little bit different. If you've ever seen an arbitration clause, there was a lot of litigation that has gone on about arbitration and arbitration clauses and contracts. An arbitration clause, if you sign that, and like if you buy a car, and you sign an agreement to arbitrate, then that means you have waived your right to go before a court or to go before a mediator. So if you have a problem with the car or you have a problem with the contract, you have already waived your right and you must go in front of a sovereign arbitrator who can bind you with whatever ruling he uh, or she uh, dictates. A little bit of difference between an arbitrator and a mediator. Now, Christ is described throughout the New Testament as the mediator. The word mediate or mediator is not nowhere found in the Old Testament. But there is a word, and I'm sure some of you who are familiar with the song, where we sing our daysman, there is a word in the Old Testament that was the Old Testament terminology for mediator or arbitrator, or you sports fans, an umpire. That's what daysman meant in the Old Testament. In Job, the ninth chapter, we find where Job is crying out for a mediator. He's crying out for an arbitrator. And you know Job's situation there in Job 9. He is being accused by his friends. They're saying, you've done something wrong, Job. You have been a bad boy. And that's why God is doing these things to you. Both of those things were false. 
Number one, Job had not been a bad boy. He'd been a good man. He'd been a, a perfect man, a mature Christian man. And God had not done those things to him. Satan did those things, you recall? So the accusation against Job is false. And Job is getting worked up and he's getting upset. He's like, I don't have anybody to argue my case. I don't. Have, God's not here and I can't argue my case before God. You better be careful about wishing for things like that, right? Because <laughs> you might get, like Job, you might get your wish granted. So in Job 9, and look at verse 32, Job is lamenting that he doesn't have a mediator. And he says, for God, he, he is not a man as I am. That's a, that's a great statement. God is not a man as, as we are. That I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. You see, the, the subject here is a litigation or a judgment. Now watch verse 33. Neither is there any daysman, that's mediator or arbitrator or umpire. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. This word daysman is where we get the, the, the phrase today, I want to have my day in court. You hear people say that? I hear it all the time. I've heard it for 20 plus years of practicing law. I want my day in court. That's, that comes from the term daysman, where you would have a day that was appointed for you to go to court and have your case heard. That's what Job is crying out for. I want a day in court. <laughs> now, you know, through the years, I, I could spend some time telling you some humorous stories, you know, about people that were demanding their day in court. And buddy, when they got to court, they weren't as, as, as ready. <laughs> To go forward with that. When they saw the jury sit or they saw the judge, they were like, I don't know about this. <laughs> so you better be careful what you ask for. Job is demanding his day in court. And if you want to put it on a more, a more local level, I, I mentioned sports. The umpire that umpires in a baseball game. Or the referee that is the referee in a football game. Those little guys that wear the stripes, you know. And in baseball, the ones that wear the big pads and all that stuff. Okay, those guys are daysmen. They come out for the day. And they referee and they say, this was right, this was wrong. And you know what? I've joked and stood on the sideline before. I've, I've said it at a baseball game. I've said it at a football game. And I've said, you know, let's appeal what that referee just did. Let's appeal the umpire's ruling. Now, in college and some other places, you know, you can actually have an instant replay and you might get it overturned. But not in high school. <laughs> not in high school. So you're stuck with whatever the daysman says. That was a strike. That was a foul. He was safe. He was out. Whatever it may be. You are stuck with what the daysman says. And sometimes we don't like what the daysman says, right? The umpire. We had a couple calls Friday night. We had some guys being held all night long. And I'm like, I wanted to say righteously from the book of Job. Get it right, daysman. They'd probably throw me out of the, out of the place, you know. What's a daysman? A daysman is an umpire. A daysman is a referee. And on a much greater scale, the daysman is the mediator. He is the judge. He is the, uh, the arbitrator. In the Old Testament, when Job said, he is not a daysman. He is not a man as I am. And I don't have a daysman that he might lay his hand upon us both. Can you get that picture in your mind? You might think about an umpire. He puts his hand on the batter and he puts his hand on the pitcher and he says, strike. <laughs> they don't do that, do they? They don't go out there and put their hand on. But in, in Job's culture and also in old English culture, you had 
these men that were known as daysmen, where if you didn't want to wait so long until for your court day to come up, you could hire a professional daysman and they would come before you and they would hear your case and they would hear the other side. And then whenever they had made their decision, they would take their hand and put it on one of the parties and they'd put their hand on the other party and they would pronounce judgment. And very often when the daysman did that, it was in public. Sometimes it was in private, but it was, it could be in public and they would stand upon what was known as a dice. A D-A-I-S, which was a raised platform, stand above the parties and put their hands on it. Often the platform was made out of wood. And they would put a hand on a grieved party, hand on a grieved party, and pronounce judgment. And they were bound to the judgment of the daysman. Are y'all getting the picture of one who was lifted up on a dice, on a piece of wood? And he stretched his hands out in judgment. Hold that thought. We'll get there. To fix a day for hearing a cause, Job says, there is no daysman. There's nobody that can stand for me and my grief and my complaint. There's nobody that can arbitrate or mediate an agreement between me and God. Because God is not a man. What prophetic words. You know, Job says later, I think it's in 14, he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. You see, Job understood that there was coming a time when something would happen where he would be redeemed, his body would be brought forth from the ground after he had died, and he would stand before the Lord in his flesh. Sounds to me like there had to be some great transaction take place. There had to be some connectivity between God and man in order for Job to do that. Job needed a daysman. A daysman to impose his authority on both parties and enforce the sentence. In the New Testament, that person is Jesus Christ, the mediator. The word mediator in the New Testament, it, it literally means a go-between. Yeah, uh, that, and by the way, if you've ever been through a mediation, that's a lot of what happens. The mediator, he, he goes between the parties. One party will be in a room over here. And another party will be in a room over here. The mediator will go between. Okay, what about this? What about this? You know, what about, can we make this happen? Can we make that happen? The mediator is a go-between. So if you want to think about, don't, let, don't, lose, don't lose the thought on the term mediator. It is a go-between. <laughs> y'all probably, y'all heard me tell this story before, but I'm, all I got is my stories. But when I was about six years old, we'd have these get-togethers. Throughout my young life, we'd have these get-togethers over at the Zion um, schoolhouse and they play music about once or once a month once every two or three months a lot of like what we do each year in june which is a lot of fun to me it brings back memories from the past so one particular time i was six or seven years old and there was this uh, little girl that was a year older than me and i couldn't stand her <laughs> and now don't worry she couldn't stand me either you know don't feel too, too sorry for her and she, you know she she was bigger than me and you know she she was you know mouth off at me you know they pushed me around a little bit not i mean it, it wasn't terrible bullying or anything like that you know but you know we just didn't like each other that's bottom line <laughs> and so we're out there on the playground probably when we should have been inside listening to music so we're and this is a good lesson for parents you know if you want to know what's going on with your kids just hang around and watch okay so we're out there on the playground and i decided to start taking rocks up and throwing at her you know boom i got her one or two times you know <laughs> and you know i forgot that she had an older 14 year old big brother named jeff who was mean he's nice nowadays back then he was mean here comes Jeff, and he was one of these country boys. Man, you don't mess with my sister. Good lesson for the brothers, too. <laughs> don't let them mess with your sister now. 
So here comes Jeff, and buddy, he's coming like this right here. Ain't nobody going to hit my sister with a rock. And I'm six years old, and I'm thinking, you know, what can he do to me? (laughs) I'm fixing to get pummeled. I don't even have a clue as to what he can do to me. I'll never forget my brother, who we joke a lot, and we rib each other a lot. But this is the heart of my brother. (laughs) He didn't know I'd been throwing rocks at the little girl, and he didn't care. When he saw that guy coming towards me and going to knock me out, and I'm sitting there going, "Uh uh-huh, six-year-old, I'm bad. Here comes Chris. Chris was about 12, much smaller than the older brother. And Chris positioned himself between me. I, I, I was looking around, you know, and Chris stood there. He said, get out of the way. Chris said, I'm not getting out of the way. And I'll never forget that boy right back and just hit Chris as hard as he could. Chris just stood there and took it. And I wish to God that I could say I was on my knees back there going, praise God for my brother and God forgive me. You know what I was doing? I was picking up more rocks, throwing it over the top. <laughs> Boom. I get her. Boom. And Chris, bam. You know? I'll never forget that. If he hadn't been my go-between, if he hadn't stood for me, that guy would have pummeled me. He would have pummeled me. And rightly so. I deserve to be pummeled because I was throwing rocks at his, his little mean sister. Regardless if she was mean or not, it was wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Well, I had three or four wrongs going there. He was my mediator. And I, to me, that's always just been a great picture of our salvation in the Lord. Because it's not like we were sitting back there going, Oh, Lord, give us salvation. We're begging and pleading here for our salvation. We're throwing rocks at the little girl, just like I was. We're not even asking for it. We're not even looking for it. But our mediator went and did it anyway. That's why he's different as a mediator, you see. A modern mediator doesn't have any power to enforce the transaction or the agreement outside of the parties consenting and giving that power. But praise be to God, the mediator who ascended from the skies, the God-man who came in the flesh, the one who became the daysman, who is the mediator between God and men, he was able not only to take the agreement and enforce the covenant, but he had the power to see it through regardless of our lack of consent. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't need our consent. You know, my brother didn't need my consent to stand there and take a pummeling from that guy in order to protect his his, uh, spoiled little brother. And I'll tell you, child of grace, the Lord of heaven and earth, the God-man doesn't need your consent or my consent to save you from your sins. How many people are out there preaching and and this begging and pleading Jesus who wants you to do this and wants you to do that and wants you to let Him in in your heart and wants you to pray this prayer and wants you to be baptized so you can go to heaven. All the different things that are out there. I tell you, our God in heaven is nothing like that. Our God in heaven has gone forth as the mediator and He has gone to the cross when everyone opposed Him. And He conducted the transaction, made the agreement, paid for it in His blood and His life, and He reigns forever as your mediator. So when you come to Jesus the mediator, you don't have to say like Job, there is no daysman betwixt us. There is a daysman. There is a daysman. There is Jesus Christ. I want you to notice too, it's very pointed that it says daysman. Job was looking for a day. A day in court, an appointed time, whenever he could stand before God and say, Lord, you just entreated me right. <laughs> That's really not a good attitude to have, is it? <laughs> now, you say, well, you know, we hadn't been through what Job went through. We'd probably have that attitude also if you went through what Job went through and you didn't understand. 
But Job was wanting to state his case on a particular day before the Lord. You know, Job actually got the opportunity to do that. <laughs> the Lord shows up, you know, sometime later in the, in the whirlwind, in the tornado. And Job says, I put my hand upon my mouth. You want to know how that, that was settled? God showed up and it's all over. When Job saw God, he put his hand upon his mouth. He said, I spoke wherever I knew not. God, forgive me. How many of God's children look upon the circumstances of life and see the things that happen and they say, Lord, this is just not fair. Lord, I just don't think. How do we even know that it's the Lord that did it? You see, I've had many people who lost loved ones and they think I just I just, you know, whether it was sickness or it was a car wreck. I just can't believe the Lord took them. Listen, the Lord's the only thing that they had going for them. Because when the car wreck happened and when the trouble and when they died, God took their spirit to heaven. He is the intercessor. He's the go-between. You see, he's the only one that's on our side a lot of times. And all the time, he's the only one that's on our side when everyone else is forsaken. The Lord is on your side because he is your go-between. Listen now, Job said, I want my day. I want my daysman. <laughs> but there's no daysman that can stand between me and, uh, and the Lord and, and handle this case. So several thousand years later at Calvary, a day came. It was the day of the daysman. It was the time of the mediator. And the mediator, the man Christ Jesus, who as the song says, hail the blessed morn. See the great mediator descending from heaven in the form of man. And he becomes a man. He grows up. He becomes a man. And he goes to the cross. And on that day, on that day when the daysman went to pay for the sins of all of his chosen children, he was lifted up on that raised platform, that cross, that cruel cross. And as he hung there, extended between heaven and earth, with his hands outstretched, I tell you, child of grace, he had one hand on heaven and he had one hand on the earth. He had one hand on the aggrieved party who was God, the judge of all, the offended one. And he had one on little Tim over here throwing rocks at the little girl who didn't even care. He had one hand on a thief on the cross who had lived his life in crime and shame, disgraced his parents. He had one hand on a Peter who said, I'll never deny you, Lord. I won't deny you. Jesus said, man, before the night is out, you're going to deny me three times. Had his hand on a Peter. Had his hand on Mary, out of whom was cast seven devils. Who had lived and done things that none of us can probably even imagine. Had his hand on a zealous man named Simon, who was a political activist and all worked up about the politics of the day. Couldn't get any sleep at night because he was so worked up about the politics. (laughs) Had his hand on that man, reconciling heaven and earth between those aggrieved parties. God is the aggrieved party and we are the offender. Child of grace, as he hung there on that cross, on that raised platform, and he settled the matter of your salvation and your connectivity with God, and you come to church and you get to connect with God, Jesus the mediator, you have an advocate between God and men. And it is the man, Christ Jesus, because he has laid his hand on God, the judge of all, and he has laid his hand on the children of God, whoever they may be, whatever their condition may be, whatever they have done, however they have sinned, he has laid his hand upon those parties that have, that have grieved a holy God, and he has settled the matter. Here's how he's different. This 
this mediator, like, unlike the modern mediator who has to say, do you agree? Do you agree? This mediator took the offenses of the aggrieving party and he put them on himself. And he said, I have borne this now. That they, Their sins are my sins. I am made to be sin who knew no sin. And therefore, the Lord has finally and fully paid for all of our sins. And the judge of all is satisfied. What did he say? He said, it is finished. Isn't that great? Isn't that beautiful? All because Jesus is the mediator. He says, we are come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Two more things and we close. Notice he says, to the blood of sprinkling. That takes you all the way back to the first description, Mount Sion, because the Holy of Holies... In the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Holy of Holies, is where the, the priest would take the blood of the yearly sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. <laughs> and here we see that Jesus Christ went into heaven itself and the blood of Christ was sprinkled on the mercy seat of God in heaven itself. You see, the, the figure on the earth was just a picture of what was going to happen in heaven. And so now Christ is our Mount Sion. Christ is our Holy of Holies. Christ's blood is our sufficient offering. And it speaks better things than that of Abel. You remember Abel's blood was shed by his own brother. And Abel's blood, you say, how does it speak better things than that of Abel? Because Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. God said, your, brother, your brother's blood cries out. He said to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What was he crying for? Avenge me, avenge me of the first murdered person. And I tell you, the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs cry out from the ground to God. And the martyrs are gathered around the throne, as we see in the book of Revelation. And they say, how long, O Lord, till we will be avenged? You see, that blood that Abel, uh, the blood of Abel that was shed by Cain, his brother, cries out for vengeance. I tell you, child of grace, the blood of Christ cries out to the Lord for mercy for you. It's not vengeance that God is going to bring that on your head. It is mercy that God is going to bring to you. He has brought to you. And if you're struggling under that weight of sin, you say, I'm not worthy. You're right. You're not. I'm not either. If you're saying, I don't measure up, praise be to God, Christ measured up, the mediator measured up, and His blood cries out to the Lord. They're saved. They're spared. They're pardoned. Isn't that beautiful? It speaks to God. The blood of Christ speaks to God in the sacrifice. It is finished. And not only that... The blood of Christ speaks to you, to the heart of the sinner, <laughs> where the blood has been applied to your heart and the Spirit of God. And even though you say, I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, I'm not able, amen, amen, and amen. But He is worthy, He is able, and He is capable. And the blood of Christ speaks to your heart where the Spirit of God is. And it speaks of the pardon of your sin, it speaks peace to your soul. And it speaks pleasure that you have in the Lord. He's not angry at you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He is your Savior. He is your mediator. This line in this song was on my mind. And I close with this. i got to get my eyes so I can see it. Listen to this. It says, I would not live always. I ask not to stay. This is from the book of Job, by the way. Maybe that's why it's on my mind. I would not live always. I ask not to stay. Where storm after storm rises dark on the way. The few lucid mornings that dawn on us here, they are followed by gloom or be clouded with fear. 
I would not live always, thus fettered by sin, temptations without, and corruption within. In the rapture of pardon is mingled with fears, and the cup of thanksgiving with penitent tears. Who, who would live always away from his God, away from yonder heaven, that blissful abode, where rivers of pleasure flow o'er the bright plains, and the noontide of glory eternally reigns. Listen now. There saints of all ages in harmony meet, their Savior and brethren transported to greet, while anthems of pleasure unceasingly roll. <laughs> this is the line that I, I read that whole thing to get to this one line. And the smile of the Lord is the feast of the soul. Child of grace, I want you to know the Lord is smiling on you this morning. He's smiling on you because the daysman, the mediator, was suspended between heaven and earth and laid his hand upon the aggrieved party and the offending party and took the sins of you on himself. So he's smiling. Isn't it wonderful to know there's so many frowns out there in the world, but the Lord Jesus Christ is smiling on you because of the mediator and his blood.